Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And what a magical day it is. Abracadabra! Man, (laughs) I'll be honest. Again, just as a world history check, uh, it is January 19th, Tuesday night, uh, as we are recording this. Uh, So... Any any large events that have happened between now and then, uh, we don't know. We have just, no knowledge of. <laughs> We're just hoping for the best. Tonight, so far, it's looking like a good week. Yeah, yeah. And I will have cut that out <laughs> in editing <laughs> if things go south. Okay. Let's hope they don't. Uh, let's hope for a magical week. Um, because uh, on this episode, we are talking exclusively about Ileana Rasputin, a.k.a. I mean, Magic. Like, I mean, there are other X-Men in these stories. So okay. it's not exclusive to mm. Magic. But no, Matt, we are going to talk a lot about Magic. I love Magic. <laughs> has I any, like Magic. Has any other character in... X-Men. I don't think any other character in X-Men has had the kind of renaissance that Magic has had in the last decade. Definitely not. And I don't I don't think there are many characters in comics that have gone from kind of an 80s afterthought to what Magic is now. Like it's great. Yeah, it's kind of wild that uh, Magic was off the board for as long as she was. Like, there was serious restraint there. And uh, I think part of that does have to do with what you're talking about, is that, you know, maybe the potential of the character uh, was was not as exploited as it could be back in the New Mutants days. But um, it is amazing to see her back and such a central character and where we are today in X-Canon. I love it. I love it. She's got a big sword. Uh, she has <laughs> she has bangs. It's 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 what you want from her. She's not uh, incredibly racist. Uh, so I mean, better than the movie. Oh God, yeah, that was so unfortunate. You know, such great casting and such a such a terrible script. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we're gonna go back to uh, Ileana's origin here. We've already ranked the mini. But uh, we're going to start with the story that leads into the mini. That's right. The first uh, first story on our list is a big pivot point for Ileana Rasputina. Uh, and we're getting to this pivot point because, do you know why, Adam? We, we have a, uh, I feel like, a celebrity requester here. I mean, like, you say celebrity. I mean, we know her. <laughs> it's Cat Fox. Uh Cat is a uh, she works she works the con circuit a lot. She is a uh, cosplayer. She does a lot of fun stuff. Uh, loves magic. I once I once joked to her at C two E two this last year. I saw uh, Rod Race doing a commission, and I popped over and said, "Hey, hey, Cat, 
Kat, uh, I don't, I don't mean to freak you out, but that guy at that table over there is drawing you. And she's like, what? The? And she looks over. <laughs> she, You're an idiot. <laughs> well, Cat Fox has sort of become uh, synonymous with uh, Ileana in a lot of ways. So I think it's appro- uh, appropriate that this entire episode uh, comes out of her request. So this uh, first story is the Uncanny X-Men number 160 shoots and ladders. It is shoots and ladders, and those kinds of shoots and ladders can only come from our Patreon at patreon.com slash comicsxf. Uh, We'll talk about that at the end, but that's how Kat got uh, this episode request, and that's why we're doing this. Literally, all she said was magic, and I said, well, okay, that's fair. That makes sense. Uh, So, yeah, this is a issue from 1982 written by Chris Claremont. Pencils on this one by Brent Anderson. It's kind of a fill-in in terms of, you know, the the long tail of this run uh bob wycheck does the inks uh glennis wine does the colors tommy wars is of course our letterer here always always and we're just coming off if if you remember numerically we're just coming off storm um having been transformed by dracula and then uh defeating him so we're starting this issue just sort of like pseudo danger room fighting uh on the patio at octopusheim (laughs) yeah again i feel like we talked about this recently but one of my favorite additions to x canon in the uh, krakoan era is that we're all accepting that magneto had this weird octopus island in the (laughs) 80s and we're just like no we're vibing this is this is a thing and we need to continue to go back to this weird ass octopus island that he had uh sure and it's great it's not like a lot of weird things happen on that island uh, yeah, and in particular, we have uh, the the abduction of Ileana by the evil demon lord Belasco. So uh, this is kind of crazy. He's going to transport them over to his world, and um, bad stuff is going to happen. It's it's an interesting setup for a story because it's it's very obvious, you know, by the fact that. A big change happens here that Claremont's setting up something with Ileana. Oh yeah, like th- this is this is a big thing happening with her, but it takes a while for it to actually develop. Like when's the when is the uh, magic mini series, the Storm and Ileana series? That's not for another year after this. Yeah, they uh, do uh, at the end of wait eighty three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they were really leaving people hanging on on some of the big threads here, which um, involve the uh, off-panel aging up of Ileana that happens towards the end of this issue, which I think for a lot of readers was probably a big question mark going on, uh, you know, until that miniseries finally came out. Yeah. So what? But we do get we do get the uh, broad strokes mm-hmm. uh, in this in this. So on. Magneto's island base in the Bermuda Triangle where there's Cthulhu <laughs> monsters. Yes. <laughs> Canonically, there are Cthulhu monsters on this island. Yes. Uh, we find that out in one of the Uncanny X-Men first classes, I think. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good issue, but we're not talking about that here. Uh, the Demon Lord Belasco, uh, as you well know from your Kazar comics, <laughs> he, uh, he tempts... Ileana, who is baby, she she's like a little little one. He she's like five, I think, in this. She's anyway, little. he tempts her. 
yeah, she's 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 toddling around there. Yeah. And he tempts her and brings her into limbo where time has no real meaning. Uh because he wants to, you know, do the Eliana stuff. He wants to uh corrupt her and use her soul uh to unleash the elder gods onto this world. <laughs> right. And while she's there, we're going to run into alternate versions living and dead of the X-Men um, in what appears to be an alternate yet same timeline. Like, like you said, time doesn't really have a meaning here. So we have a storm that uh, appears later in the miniseries who has aged up and become a wizard. Um, we have a dead Wolverine. We have an evil Nightcrawler. Uh, Kitty is being held captive with her skeleton sucked out of her body. Uh, so there's a lot going on here in a very short period of time. There is. And a lot of this I- issue is just a, uh, it's like looking at a weird reflection. It's like, hey, look at all this weird stuff that happened to the X-Men. And it. I'm really curious how it was received at the time. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like a weird one-off with consequences for the most minor character in the cast. Yeah, and, but it and then also it turn, turns into a much bigger thing. Whether oh, Claremont yeah. was planning all these threads, or if he said, "Here's some cool ideas. I'll fill in the details later." I'm sure it was that, but yeah, it's probably <laughs> I, I do, that one, do not get the idea reading this that Claremont had some like master plan. But what is interesting, and I think is cool, is that so many of the little elements that we associate with a lot Ileana's grand story are already here. Um, the introduction of the stepping discs is in this issue. Um, We get introduced to Belasco and we sort of get a general idea of what his master plan is. Um, We get introduced to Sim, um, who is very much uh, a Cerebus homage here in his first appearance. Yeah, you ever feel uncomfortable about how Sim uh, is a direct homage to Cerebus Cerebus creator David Sim, who's an incredible misogynist, uh, to the point where he's torpedoed his own career in comics uh, to go on weird rants about how women are the devil. And yet that kind of makes sense for this evil demon Sim whose only goal in comics is to ruin Ileana's life. <laughs> it did strangely work out that way. And I, I can't really blame Claremont for, you know, what is this, 82? Um, this is in the early, yeah. uh, you know, heady days where everything sim was doing was very celebrated by the comics community so um we have some time before uh people realize that he'd completely gone off the deep end um but yeah we we do have sim wearing cerebus's trademark uh vest um even the first panel where we see his face he looks a little bit more uh like the aardvark than um than he does in later appearances yeah it's a cool design is it, this is a fun little issue. It's more, I think it's more important than it is good. Like, it's not bad, but it's, it's in a weird time where X-Men, like, it hadn't, like, fully pivoted into what will be, like, the Paul Smith stuff. Right. Where it really gets, it really gets, like, its second wind after uh, Byrne leaves the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in that weird spot where, like I mentioned, the Dracula issue, which is standalone with Sienkiewicz doing the pencils, and Claremont's trying some stuff. 
Um, and it's great that he did because it, we're able to follow up on a lot of that for years and years afterwards. Yeah, it's uh, like it's not bad, but the book's about to go into the Brood Saga and really actually like kick off like arc after arc after arc of nearly perfect X-Men. Like it hits the Brood Saga and then it's nothing but good comics uh, for like, I don't know. Let's see, eight, two years. Yeah, when it, it's... until 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 the Kulan Goth storyline. <laughs> hey, have we ranked that yet? Hey, we're gonna. No, we haven't. But it, I I can tell you where it is on the list uh, of things to rank. It's it's scheduled, but our schedule is pretty far out. Pretty so long. Okay, that, that makes no promises. Something to but something to look. We'll forward talk to. about that eventually. <laughs> I hate it. But that's not the point. Oh, see, okay. Well, we'll we'll talk about that on another time. We'll get Um, to it. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement. This is sort of like a weird one-off that, you know, taken in isolation is maybe a little bit of, I don't want to say a mess, but it's kind of muddled while at the same time introducing some really cool concepts that are definitely going to be successfully implemented for decades to come. Yep. So I think we should probably just rank this one. Yeah. It's weird that this one, this one's important to Ileana, but it's not about Ileana at all. Like, no, she's mostly off screen. Yeah. She's a, she's a tool in this Mm -hmm. and it feels like it's like, oh yeah, this is a key Ileana story, but it's mostly key for what it sets up. Yeah. Uh, Unlike the number one story on our list of 456 X-Men stories that we've ranked, uh, which is the House of X and the Powers of Ten. Uh, the number 100th story on our list is the Brian Michael Bendis and Fraser Irving uh, limbo arc from Uncanny uh, X-Men. Uh, number 200 is X-Men Gold number 30, that time that Kitty Pride phased through Colossus's hand instead of marrying him. <laughs> uh, number 300 is X-Campus. Uh, number 400 is... Wolverine 49, better to give, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then 456 is the Draco. So this is better than X Campus. Yeah, I, I highlighted on the list, we have the issue that comes before this um, up at 150. And I don't think we're that high on the list. Um, no, the Dracula one's better. It, it is. It's uh, it's a little bit more of a solid one shot. Whereas this, as we said, is, is kind of a, a weird thing the art's not as good um no disrespect to brent but he's not sinkevich and um you know we don't have to I think say we're... no disrespect to brent anderson one of his stories is really high on the list <laughs> yeah um but but this is not like you know his best work um even though he's doing a solid job telling this story yeah. it, it's just I don't know. I feel like all of these things get fleshed out much better later on. I see you've highlighted at 183 Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Yeah, I mean, Kitty Pride and Wolverine's better than this. I would agree. Um, I think totally unrelated, but Ultimate Comics Hawkeye is better than this. Yep, that's down at 212. Um, but I think we're getting is... into the right. Oh, go ahead. I think we're getting into the sort of the right realm here. Um, maybe in like the top half of the 200s. Because that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like this is still pretty vital to what's going on. 
Um, I would put it ahead of, uh, you know, the cocaine arc of Wolverine, for instance, at 234. Yeah, that's fair. I'd put it below at 222, uh, the Captain America Secret Empire story, the the one where Captain America doesn't turn into a Nazi, where he just fights them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, How do you feel about it? You know what? If it's not as good as Secret Empire, I do think it's better than the one that's below that on our list, which is uh, Generation X, Volume 2, 6, and 7. So I think that might be a good spot for it on the list. Yeah, I think that makes it a very good number 223 on our list. That's Uncanny X-Men 160, Shoots and Ladders. Nice. Very nice. Um, And we are going to stick with Ileana and Uncanny X-Men and zoom... Uh, back, well, is Back to the Future? We're we're gonna zoom. <laughs> Where are we zooming? We're, we're zooming past to the, future. the future. Yes. So if we went into the past to go to one sixty, then we are going back to a future, but not the future. Uh, with uh, 1988's Uncanny X Men, uh, two hundred thirty one. It's called Dressed for Dinner. Uh, and it's not the story I thought it was when we were reading this or when we were setting this up. <laughs> I thought it was the New Mutants issue that actually chronologically happens right before this, where Ileana fights Forge to bring her brother back from the dead. Uh, where instead, uh, this is when Ileana is fighting the Baba Yaga, uh, you know, the the Russian demon ghost lady with a chicken leg hut, uh, fighting fighting her and Sim for control of Limbo, and she accidentally summons. Uh, what she thinks is the ghost of her brother, but really is Colossus pretending to be a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, because the Aussie X-Men are really committing to their bit. And <laughs> to the point where poor Colossus can't even let his sister uh, let let her know that he is still alive. So he is summoned to Limbo uh, to, to fist fight it out with um, the now techno-organic virus-infected uh hordes of sim in limbo um and the right and the right right because we have we have uh the the little smiley face guys from the right here as well and uh all of them are just sort of like fist fighting it out um this is cool i like this episode this issue a lot um it's rick leonardi um doing the artwork with uh dan green on inks and of course, Claremont is writing this one. Um, now, the issue does start with uh, a, a little cute scene with with Rogue and Colossus, where Rogue burns her hand on Colossus's metal body, which I think is kind of fun. And Colossus then, uh, has been sitting out in the Outback Sun so long that his body <laughs> is so hot that it spontaneously combusts his like drawing notebook. Oh yeah, he burns up his his sketchbook. The poor guy. Um, Listen. If, if Colossus has any ongoing thread between, say, Secret Wars and, uh, let's, let's say, Astonishing X-Men, it's that it really sucks to be Colossus, and things are always going bad for the guy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He doesn't handle it well. No. Let's not, let's not put that aside. He handles it poorly almost every time. On the grand scheme of things, a lot of bad stuff is happening to Colossus in a very short succession of time. Oh, sure. Yeah. And we've talked about the tragic life of uh, Peter Rasputin many a time here. Um, what I think is uh, 
kind of funny is that uh, he's not actually summoned by Eliana. It's that Gateway just kind of decides, you know, by like vibing with the universe that he needs to send Peter somewhere and just happens Gateway to knows. be able to, to send him there. It's great. It's it's fun. We get some really good uh, Rick Leonardi art here that I enjoy. We get good moments between uh, Colossus and Eliana in the lead up to Limbo. And that's something that because they were in different books and because uh, after the Mutant Massacre, the X-Men and New Mutants pretty pretty handily split mm-hmm. in half yeah. for the most part. Yeah. The new mutants go off on a space time adventure for a little while, and then boom, it's follow the mutants, and everyone thinks the X Men are dead. So we get we get a one of the few Colossus and Ileana moments uh, as far as them relating. In it's Ileana working through grief of my brother is dead, and my parents don't like know that I'm sixteen. <laughs> right yeah she's feeling pretty lonely here um and we don't really this is an interesting issue because we don't really know what's going on until the very last panel where sim has this little exposition dump but um Ilyana is working on a term paper about mikhail bulgakov's the master and margarita which uh, listeners, I actually had, I had never even heard about it. So I guess the first time I read through this run, I must've just glossed over this. Um, but I decided to start reading it this week. I'm about a third of the way through the book. It is so good. Um, but magically three characters from that, uh, story who are sort of the representations of Satan on earth, um, start and come in and then they're followed up by Baba Yaga who decides he's going to, she's going to eat the new mutants. Um, she's going to fatten them up and she's going to eat them. And what we learn at the very end of this story is that all of this is happening because the border between limbo and the real world is becoming thinner and thinner that the demons from limbo are escaping over into the real world because of, uh, you know, whatever's going on with Ileana. And then of course, all of this is leading towards Inferno. Um, and the end of that story. And I, I think this is a really good building block towards that eventual crossover story. It is. It adds a lot of elements. It adds the uh, Colossus and Ileana, uh, you know, familiar relationship, which is really key to those new mutants issues. Uh, it shows Ileana's losing control. And just from a very building blocks plot standpoint says, hey, this is not over and it's not ending well yeah um yeah y'all this is this is gonna be a bad one uh and that's it's cool to see that happen i i like seeing this it's again it's almost more essential for what it sets up than what it actually does in the story but i do think that uh this is better than that uh shoots and ladders issue because it has that emotional core between Colossus and Ileana. Yeah, there's a key scene towards the end where, you know, you can kind of see that Ileana is like very close to figuring out that this is, of course, her real brother. Um, He transforms back from his metal form and they have this very genuine moment of togetherness, even though she really does believe that he's dead. Um, And it, it really hits home. You know, because it, you have to, if you know that the character is is going to be de-aged again at some point, 
uh, you know, you have to establish this relationship and, and the love between these two characters. And I think this issue does that really, really well. Yeah, I like it. It's a good one. Yeah, it's it's one you might you might not think of as key, but it works really well in the story. Yeah, that was the only thing that I, I, I wanted to note was that, the, you know, this is as part of the Aussie era, um, part of the Silvestri run. And it is odd to kind of see the expressive, almost cartooniness of Rick Leonardi's work as the fill-in artist on issues mm-hmm. in this in this time period. Um, over time, I've grown such an appreciation for what Leonardi does on the page um, and I think it really helps to sell the emotions of the characters with what he's doing with their facial expressions and their body language. He, he does all of that very, very well. But he's a, he's a different he's a different type of artist than Sylvester. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's not he's not of that like image class. No, he's he's closer to he's closer to like the Dodsons are today. Sure. And, you know, someone who's pulling from like those image influences. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's fine. It's just I think in a vacuum, it works really well. I could see in a run it being a bit disjointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on its own, I, I think it's a fantastic standalone issue. Um, and I agree. I think it is better than uh, where we just ranked um, Uncanny 160 shoots and ladders. I, I would definitely go higher up in the list here. I'm looking at number 181 right now, and that's Uncanny X-Men 268 Madripoor Knights, mm-hmm. uh, which is another standalone one-shot. I think Madripoor Knights is probably better. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's sort of the more classic of the two issues, but I think we're in the right place. Like, we've got the same sort of emotional quality that we do to, like, at 184, we have Power Pack 20. Um I, and I think that this story is probably better on its own than what we have at 185, which is the the final arc of All New Wolverine. What do you think about that comparison? Yeah, the old. I was I was looking there and I said, yeah, I think this is better than Old Woman Laura. Uh, I would say it's a couple spots up from that is uh, Kitty Pride and Wolverine uh, mm-hmm. at 183, and I think this is actually better than that, but not as good as X Men Endangered Species at 182 right above it which is that mini series that ran through a bunch of issues as like 10 page backups right where we where we really started to see the moral uh, boundaries collapsing for mr beast so i think that's a perfect place in the on the list that would make it our new uh 183 right that would make it our new 183. This is Uncanny X-Men 231, and I'm calling it Colossus Pretends to be a Ghost, so I remember <laughs> it later. Because okay. I won't remember dressed for dinner. That makes no sense. Hey, Chris, uh, I don't know what you were talking about. No one has dinner. in. Th- well, I guess the Baba Yaga wants to have dinner. <laughs> oh, man. Baba Yaga wants to eat some kids. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of things eating kids. Oh, my goodness. I... <laughs> When you said we were going to talk about this arc, I was actually really happy. Um, Because. It's weird, right? (laughs) It's weird, but. This is a weird one? It's weird, but I really enjoyed rereading it. So um, I don't know if you felt the same way. This is um, a much more recent story. This is Extraordinary X-Men 16 to. Wait, no. 13 to 16, right? 17. Oh, 17. Okay. Kingdom's Fall. Oh, wait. No, this... 16. You're right. 16. I'm dumb. You're, you're not yeah, dumb. Kingdom's they're, Fall. They're just numbers. This is, yeah, because 17 is where we get the IVX crossover. 
um, yeah. that we like a bunch. But this is that time <laughs> that Sapna... You can't even say this. That Sapna got trapped in the sword. <laughs> hey, who's Sapna? Because she's never appeared again, and that's upsetting. <laughs> well, Sapna is a character uh, that um, Ileana encountered early in the Extraordinary X-Men run um, and, and rescued... Um, you know, she was in trouble and, uh, you know, Ileana kind of took her under a wing. Unfortunately, there's another malevolent creature that has also been searching out, uh, was looking for Ileana and then settled on little Sapna. And that is the world eater, um, which is sort of this like tentacly Lovecraftian, like, I don't even know what to call it. It's just this, this monstrous it's, thing. It's, it's demon. It's it's gonna eat eat magic demon. That's all it is. Uh, this is this is written by Jeff Lemire. Uh, pencils and inks on this are by Victor Ibanez. Uh, mm-hmm. Guillermo uh, Marigon does a little bit of layout work uh, on this. Uh, J. David Ramos does the colors. Uh, VCs Joe Caramanga. He he letters this. Yeah. Um, extraordinary X Men is so weird. It is, and it, it, they didn't do it any favors by uh, shoehorning in the Apocalypse Wars uh, mandate. You know, like, that's what's coming right before these issues. And you could tell that Lemire probably wanted to go more directly into the direction he's going in these issues. But unfortunately, <laughs> you know, there was a an X-Men movie coming out, and I have a feeling that there was, there was a little bit of... Um, of a synergy mandate there. I, do you get that impression as well? Yeah, I get the impression that, that since Apocalypse War came out over the summer that the movie X-Men Apocalypse came out, that uh, somebody had the bright idea that maybe they should tie the books into Apocalypse, which was weird because the books all started with the bright idea of, hey, we have to tie this into the new X-Men status quo that there's gas clouds taking over the world and <laughs> killing all mutants. And we do have to make sure we really soon follow this up with uh, a story about how, you know, uh, the Inhumans and the X-Men are going to war. We got to resolve <laughs> that. And that, I, I sympathize with Lemire and Bunn and uh, Dennis Hallam who were really leading the line at the time uh, because they had to, they had very little room to do anything? their stories. No, I mean, and, and like forget about doing anything sort of like long range or, or planning anything. I mean, the, these guys were like, it was arc by arc and you know, <laughs> it's not giving them a lot of breathing room. It's, it's not, but I think, I think this is, this is the most Jeff Lemire, like, the book gets. Like, this is – this, I would imagine, is the closest we get to, like, his pure vision of, hey, I want to tell an X-Men story. Mm-hmm. You know, given, given the circumstances that I'm in, what do we got? Because, like, he's the one – he's the one who said, let's let's have him live in limbo. Right. He he made sure magic was on the team. He did some stuff. He brought in Sapna to begin with. So, you know, these were, these were there. And – the emotional core of this story is Ileana having a ward and having seeing a young girl get possessed and being taken over 
by a malevolent demonic force. And Ileana's got a lot of unresolved issues about that and will stop at nothing to uh, make that happen. And to her credit, Storm immediately realizes this and says, hey, uh, we're going to go stop this, right? It's like, a I'll, great, I'm going to tag along? Yeah, it's a great callback. And Ileana is like, no, you're not coming with me. Um, and Storm is like, the hell I'm not. Uh, <laughs> Storm says, I'm Storm from X-Men. <laughs> right. You don't, I do what I want. Yeah, you can't tell me not to go. Um, and I think what I like most about this is... Um, at Banyas is doing this. This may not be up to the artwork level that we see later on the Jean Grey um, issues um, that Vic does, but I really like the artwork here. And there are some really, really beautiful two-page spreads. There's one um, where the two are going through all of the realms that the World Eater has eaten, and it's this beautiful spread of them hopping through these portals. Um, from world to world and it's so cool um i i think that what's not successful about this arc has uh more to do with the fact that storm and iliana get stuck in one of those areas and have to fight against a quartet of new characters that are don't really factor into the story much more than to say world eater bad and, like, we could have figured that out just by looking around. So this is, I thinking about this issue after going, or this arc after going back, this arc is a distillation of Jeff Lemire as a writer. Uh, if it took place in Canada and was about a father and son instead of a <laughs> surrogate, uh, surrogate, like, mother-daughter relationship, teacher-student, uh, it would be the most Jeff Lemire thing because uh, this has a lot of the same, like, deep emotional beats of, you know, your relationship to another person, especially someone you look up to, or, like, a parent caring about their child and having to take care of them and make sure that they're okay and the anxieties that come with that. That's the good stuff about Jeff Lemire. That's the sad dad stuff that I, as a sad dad, really enjoy. <laughs> and there's people who dislike that about Jeff Lemire, and I cannot argue with it because it's ever-present in his work. But this also has the same kind of downside that you get in something like a uh, Black Hammer or something like a Gideon Fall, where the antagonist is this conceptual thing mm. that's like, we're fighting against bad, but it's <laughs> not it's not developed or interesting in a in a very uh, big way and it feels like okay we know world eater is bad right but we don't know much more about it like it's less compelling than galactus and maybe part of that's because galactus is a 40 story tall purple man in a skirt and a kirby hat <laughs> but world eater being generic tentacle monster with no motivation that we know is not going to actually eat the world because the X-Men have to fight the inhumans in an issue. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't land well. You know, and, and what's interesting is I, I was thinking as a comparison um, that Mark Guggenheim later on X-Men gold um, 
at least takes the time to establish his big bad from Negative Zone War in a standalone issue. You know, Lemire never has the opportunity really to go back and give that sort of character arc to this thing that they're all going to be fighting against. Um, He also has the unenviable task, and I'll give him credit, I think he actually pulls this off, of trying to work in another uh, relationship plot line here, which is Nightcrawler on a desperate search for Colossus, who has been transformed into one of Apocalypse's uh, horsemen and (laughs) trying to save him. And it, the story does build up to this enormous pitch where this tornado effect of this, this tentacle monster with Sapna and the sword right at the beginning of the charge are about to eat the building. Is Forge going to allow Apocalypse to heal Colossus? Like It does feel to a certain extent like there are some stakes here. But as you said, you know at the end of the day that this is all going to get wrapped up. You know that this thing is not going to eat the world because it doesn't have the the momentous background to, to you know, make any of that worthwhile. Well, in, it's not it's not what this arc was being or this run was being built up to and this whole era was being built up to. Right. In fact, it's it's coming right before then. So, you know, reading this, that this isn't this isn't the end game. No. So. Like, there's not even a chance of big sacrifice or Mm-mm. anything like that. It's just, hey, the X-Men are going to defeat this. And they lose Sapna, uh, who we find out is living in Iliana's sword. It has never been brought up again. <sighs> well, We'll and... have to talk about that someday. Well, no, we, I, I think we could talk about it right now. Um, the, the arc does end with uh, Ileana kind of brooding off on, a, on a, a limbo mountain somewhere. And the sword talks to her. And Ileana is like, Sapna? So, now, the character of Sapna has not been talked about in continuity at all since Lemire's run. Um, we have heard Jordan say publicly, there is nobody in that sword, <laughs> which does beg the question, where did she go? And I don't think we will say, ever, listen, ever get the answer to that question. Jordan can say whatever he wants until I see little Sapna running around with her demon boogers. Uh, <laughs> I will assume she's living in Ileana's sword and she's just very quiet. Maybe one day, decades from now, a writer will pluck that obscure plot point back. Uh, Cause I, you know, I, I also do appreciate that glob gets a great moment in here. Um, he gets to, to, beat on <laughs> apocalypse colossus uh for a second it's great. yeah we don't we don't talk enough about how uh glob herman uh is a key character in extraordinary x-men and chef lemire did the uh beautiful work of helping normalize glob herman in the x-men like jason aaron had him as a tertiary character in wolverine in the x-men and then he was a uh i guess one of the co-leads of spider-man in the x-men from elliot kalen uh, and then Lemire was like, nah, he's him and Anale and no girl and Ernst. They're going to be my kid X-Men. <laughs> and that's a weird choice. Uh, but yeah. they do get they do get some good moments here where Glob and the very buff Anale. Everyone forgets about that time Anale got swole. 
because he that, was trapped in the future. One of like the best issues years. of this run is Extraordinary X-Men number nine, where uh, this this small team goes off into like this, you know, multiple realities looking for, you know, this is, uh, I think, the, the first or second issue of, I think it's the second issue of Apocalypse Wars. It's such a good mm-hmm. issue. And uh, everybody forgets about everything that happened there because, you know, Glob levels up. It's weird and kind levels of up. bad as an arc. <laughs> no, I'm like, not talking just, about the... It's not... Just that, that issue, issue alone. Is good. Apocalypse that War is not good. No, 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 no. It's terrible. Uh, it's terrible. Um, this is this is weird. I There's there's one interaction here that I do like a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's between Apocalypse and Forge. I actually think Jeff Lemire writes a really good Forge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, throughout this run... Forge is one of the characters that he understood and, like, had a clear vision and voice and purpose for. Uh, And he duct tapes Apocalypse's mouth shut. Apocalypse (laughs) is not normal Apocalypse. He's a weird old Apocalypse from the future. Yeah, he's sort of, uh, he's been on a diet. You know, he's not doing so hot. But um, He's ancient Apocalypse. (laughs) Right, right. But I... I will give Lemire credit, despite the fact that he's shoehorned into the fact that he knows he's going to have to be doing IVX crossover stuff. He does bring this story up to sort of, you know, this dramatic climax, and he he does tie it all together, you know, um, and, and gets everything returned to the status quo before moving on. So I like Abanez's art here a lot. Um, Love the art in this. Victor's one of my favorite, favorite artists. Yeah. Wish he would have more going on. Yeah, I I love I love uh, what he's doing here, and um, you know, it, I think we've said all we need to say about this because it's just not uh, it's not from the best era, and unfortunately, Lemire didn't have the the room I think to do what he what he could have done with the book. So, you know, I think for what I it would, is, it, I would it's love a pretty good story. I would love to see an unrestrained Jeff Lemire do the X-Men story that he wants to do at some point. Sure. It's never going to happen. He's he's happy doing his stuff. Uh his time his time doing big two comics I think is pretty much past him. Mm. Like he he knows he can continue to uh to sell pretty good on his own. So, yeah, let's talk about this. It's not as good. Where do we have that one extraordinary issue? Uh, the one right after the 17. Let's see. 159. 159. Okay. It's not as good as that. Where do we have It's better than the first arc of Extraordinary at 335. Ooh. So, somewhere between those. Yeah, it definitely is. That That's not great. Um, what was I looking at before? Negative Zone War is at 193. I think this is better than that. I would agree. So I think we're in the right uh, realm here. Um, is it better or worse than that time that Colossus pretended to be a ghost? I don't think it's as good as that. It's probably... It's Looking up the list, it's not as good as the Age of Apocalypse, the exterminated stuff. No. Um... But it's probably better that it is probably better than that time that Excalibur was dinosaurs in Excalibur <laughs> fifty one. Yeah, and I think it's probably better than the Marvel Knights X Men mini. Um, even though, well, 
that's an interesting one because that takes so many creative risks but i i think this is probably a more cohesive story and i think i like the abanya's art better how do you think it compares to 189, which is the X-Force 71 to 74, the road trip? Road trip better. Road trip better. Road trip's better than this. All right. So that's uh, going to be 190, though. Yeah. This going to be our number new, uh, our new number 190. Uh, Extraordinary X-Men 13 to 16. Kingdoms fall. And this episode is going to fall now because we're done with it. We talked about all of these X-Men stories, and we're really glad that you were there uh, to to do that with us. But we're especially glad for Cat Fox, uh, who, again, went on over to patreon.com slash comicsxf and threw some money our way. Uh, that goes directly into the pockets of the contributors of comicsxf.com, uh, where we have some incredibly good writing uh, going on all the time. Uh, today we put up articles that I'm very proud of, including one where Kenneth Laster says, hey, Laura Kinney should have weird hair. Why doesn't she, why does she have normal hair? She should have dumb hair like Wolverine does. And then he drew a bunch of dumb hair that Wolverine could have. And I love it so much. Uh, that was, that brought such a smile to my face today. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it really does make a lot of sense. You know, why doesn't Laura... Nola pointed this out, too. Why why doesn't Laura look more like Logan? She's just this, you know, beautiful person. But, um, you know, she really should be this little tree trunk troll of a of a, of a girl. Um, but I, I love I Kenneth's love her piece. so much. <laughs> oh, it's good. Yep. I, love, I love having editorial control. <laughs> and I love having contributors who know that they could say some dumb stuff. And if it makes me laugh, then I'll say, yeah, go do that. (laughs) This is what, listen, 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 this is comic book journalism. (laughs) And listen, unless you're exposing the deep seedy underbelly of the, the bad side of comics as a business, really all you're doing is PR stuff for, like disney or warner brothers so maybe you can just like goof around every once in a while and it's fine and that goofing around is what your contributions to the patreon helps uh helps keep alive uh and we're really excited about that uh we have a bunch of different levels we're actually uh as this has gone up we've had our first uh patreon live uh event for our 9.99 and up patrons yeah uh, and we've got other events uh that are coming next month and then we got our discord which is a lot of fun you can check out even without being a patreon supporter but you get a really cool gold badge and access to the secret exclusive uh patreon lounge where we have bourbon and like fresh oranges <laughs> there's uh, you have to smoke, bring your own yeah smoking jackets you know it's it's a pretty cool place it's it's real fancy i'm not gonna lie we got a bagel tree there um man we just got we got all the stuff that you can want <laughs> Um, but no, it's it's cool. Love the support if you can. Uh, if you can't, that's fine too. Uh, thank you again to Cat. Uh, and then go to yeah, Xavier Files is not the name of the website. It's ComicsXF. Go there uh, or on Twitter at ComicsXF. Hey Adam, what's up? Hey guys, you can always follow me over at Arthur Stacy. Um, actually, if you're on Instagram. Um, I've been doing some new artwork lately and I could use some Instagram followers. I, I post the stuff. I've been doing some process uh, stuff so you can see the, the artwork developed from sketches to finals. 
Um, that's at Instagram.com uh, slash Adam dot So if you're on Instagram, you know, and you, you want to see some artwork, uh, maybe give a follow there. And uh, if you like Russian literature, read The Master and Margarita and hit me up on Twitter. Would love to talk to some people about it. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah go follow go follow adam's insta it's a it's a quality follow never try and find me no don't do it i i am a ghost in the machine (laughs) i live in your podcast eardrums and that's as far as this relationship really needs to go uh y'all great y'all are great i just am a hermit um but do you know who's not a hermit uh who who's zach uh cable and x-force oh yeah we're gonna talk about we're going to talk about X-Force next week. It's an all X-Force episode, and we got uh, some weird X-Force stuff, including one that I'm excited to revisit tentatively. <laughs> I am pumped to uh, pack my pouches with uh, ammo and and, and um, bring out my cardboard box-shaped silver weapons that shoot lasers. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Man, you just, I wanted, I, sometimes when you just yawn, you leave your co-host just (laughs) dangling on a bit that has failed (laughs) and you see how they try and get themselves out of it. But until then, guys, this has been Bow the Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!